I was waiting at a busy crosswalk for the light to change. Standing next to me were two young men who were making their plans for the night. They were on their way to a popular nightclub. One of them was interested in a young woman. The day before, he overheard her saying she was going to that club with her friend. With this in mind, the young man who was interested in the woman looked over at his friend and he said, Will you be my wingman? To which the friend replied, You got it, bro. The young man's definition of a wingman is 21st century slang. The Urban Dictionary defines it like this. Two girls are in a bar. They are approached by two guys. The wingman's job is to quickly start a conversation with the girl his friend is not interested in. If he's a really good at being a wingman, he will convince her to dance with him. This skillful maneuver leaves his friend alone to flirt with the girl that he is interested in. Will you be my wingman? You got it, bro. When I heard that, I wondered if they knew the real meaning of what it is to be a wingman. Did they know the traditional military definition? Did they know that it refers to the pattern in which fighter jets fly? That there is always a lead aircraft? In addition, there is always another plane which flies off the right wing of that craft right behind them. The second pilot is called the wingman or woman, as they protect the aircraft by watching their backs. Memorial Day honors the men and women who died while serving in the military. Personally, I'd like to include all those who have served as Coast Guard, police, and firefighters, and also the living, who years later still experience deep psychological trauma. Our servicemen and women are there for us. They are our wing people. They have our backs. And in so doing, they befriend us. I believe that's what Jesus meant in the gospel reading for this morning when he said, No longer do I call you servants, rather I call you friends. No greater love than this than a person lay down their life for their friends. My proposal on this Memorial Sunday, as Christians, as the body of Christ in the world, instead of simply calling them our service, our servant men and women, perhaps we should start calling them our friends in the service. In other words, we should have their backs as well. So how do we do this? Well, many would argue that a strong military budget is key, and I would agree with that wholeheartedly. However, it's not good enough to have the latest and greatest planes and ships and guns. We need to have their backs psychologically as well, which means a strong mental health budget. Case in point, a very personal story. Several years ago, I was working as a hospital emergency room therapist in Meriden, Connecticut. I was there for three years. I evaluated people from all walks of life, rich and poor, young and old, women who had been physically abused, young people who had their first psychotic break, alcoholics, drug addicts, prostitutes, and countless homeless. And they all touched me greatly. And several changed my thinking forever. One of those people was named Arthur. 
One evening while I was working the night shift, the police brought him into the emergency room. They found him wandering out there on Interstate I-91. A truck driver had called and, and reported that he had nearly run him over. Now, Arthur was one of the kindest and gentlest people I have ever met. He was around my height and build. He wore a jean jacket and glasses that were scotch-taped together in several places. He was not drunk or psychotic that night. He told me that he had been moving around, as he put it, for years from city to city and town to town. After a few minutes, it was clear to me that Arthur was having a terrible time functioning in normal society. For over an hour, I tried to get a personal history on him. Where was he born? Where did he grow up? Did he have any family? But Arthur was silent. And to make it more complicated, he had no wallet or driver's license. He also did not remember or refused to give me his social security number. So I paged the psychiatrist on call, and she decided that he needed further observation. So she admitted him to our respite house. Now, the respite house was directly across the street from the hospital, a four-bedroom home where people could stay up to a month for short-term therapy. Twice a day, the therapist and the psychiatrist would meet with Arthur, and the rest of the time, he could go on supervised walks with one of us, or simply hang out and read or watch TV. After two weeks in the respite house, we had discovered just two things about Arthur. First, we learned that he was once married and divorced. We never learned his wife's name or if he had any children. And secondly, we learned that there was one thing and one thing only that made him smile like a child. And that is that Arthur absolutely loved the do-it-yourself soft-serve ice cream machine in the hospital cafeteria. Well, as it turned out, that ice cream machine changed everything. One evening, I was walking across the street with Arthur to get his daily soft-serve, and suddenly a medevac helicopter appeared out of nowhere. It was making its way to the launching pad on top of the hospital, Slowly it began to descend, and the closer it got, the louder it got. The wind from the rotors blew back our hair, creating little twisters of leaves and litter all around us. Well, after the helicopter landed, I looked over to where Arthur was standing, but he was no longer in sight. For the next four hours, hospital security searched for him, They eventually found him hiding under a bush in the backyard of a neighboring home. That did it. In that instant, we knew Arthur's story. We had a diagnosis. He was a Vietnam vet suffering from severe post-traumatic stress. Well, a few days later, we arranged to have him admitted to a VA hospital. And a week later, we called and we checked in on him, and we found out that they loved gentle Arthur just as much as we did. We also learned to our joy that in the presence of other vets, he was beginning to open up and slowly make progress. Unfortunately, it was one of those years where the administration decided to make drastic cuts to mental health programs. And so Arthur was discharged back to the streets way too soon. 
A few days later, the police came by the respite house and gave us the news. One cold November morning, Arthur walked down to the reservoir, removed his jacket, folded it neatly, and placed his glasses on top of it. And then without a note to anyone, he waded out into the cold gray water. The truth is no one could have stopped Arthur from walking down to the reservoir that day. The truth is he was too far gone. Years before, he had laid down his psychological health for his country, his friends, and he never fully recovered. What he needed was a government-funded group home for vets, a home where he could live quietly for the rest of his life, complete with a do-it-yourself, soft-serve ice cream machine. Truth be told, following the Vietnam War, our country did not have Arthur's back and thousands of others like him suffering from PTSD. No longer do I call you servants, rather I call you friends. No greater love than this than a person laid down their life for their friends. There is no greater love than to have their backs. When I was preparing the sermon, there was yet another mass shooting. So I have to say this morning that in the wake of two mass shootings, I believe it is high time that we expand this wartime metaphor to include the backs of little children and people of color. And one way to do this is to declare war on the all-powerful gun lobbies. And how do we do this? By voting for people who support sensible gun laws, Specifically, a cardinal law that will ban the sale of assault weapons to civilians, especially, especially teenagers. Last Tuesday's teenage shooter had no problem going into a store and buying a semi-automatic weapon. In fact, he documented the experience on social media. In his words, I went to many stores after my dermatology appointment today went to McLean's and finger blank some of his guns. They had an NY Safe AR with a detachable magazine for 1150 and a Yugoslavian SKS for 775. Then I went down the road to vintage firearms, but they didn't have any fun things that had caused a lot of damage in a short period of time. Did he really say that? They didn't have any fun things that could cause a lot of damage in a short period of time. Two days. Two days after that shooting, I was sitting on a massive lawn with a couple of thousand people watching my daughter graduate from law school. And there was a nice family sitting right next to me with two little boys. And when the ceremony began, the parents gave them their cell phones to keep them quiet. And what I saw next did not connect. In the middle of the keynote speaker's words about liberty and justice for all, those little boys were having fun playing a game. They were having fun playing a game where they got winning points for shooting people dead with semi-automatic weapons. Make no mistake about it. 
guns are the golden calf in this country. And sadly for many, they are becoming objects of devotion and freedom. And as a result, gun rights are becoming more important than children's rights. It does not have to be this way. Take Australia, for example. There are an estimated 3.5 million guns in private hands there. However, after a young man killed 35 people during a rampage in 1996, Australia banned semi-automatic and punk-action firearms two weeks later. What the hell are we doing in this country? Two weeks later. Since then, the number of mass shootings there has dropped tremendously. It is time, and you're hearing it all over the TV from our sportscasters and our politicians and our ministers, it is time now to declare war on semi-automatic weapons in this country. It is the time to have our children and our minorities' backs Now, I wish I could wrap this sermon up with a neat little bow, which I like to do, admittedly. But I can't do that this morning. All that will do is provide premature closing. And the problem will not go away. It'll drift off into our memories. What makes the problem go away, in Jesus' words, is bearing fruit. It is using our moments of silence, our thoughts, and our prayers not as closure, rather to inspire us to publicly make some noise. Therefore, our little contribution this morning. Directly following this service, during the postlude, I invite you to process outside behind me to the front apron of the church. And then after a brief prayer, our wonderful trumpeter will play loud taps in honor of our friends in the service, whose backs we need to have. And directly following this, we will ring the church bell. We will peal it loudly for the victims and families of mass shootings. For those we have lost, to be sure. But also for those, including little children, who will relive that trauma over and over and over again. Jesus didn't make this a suggestion. He made this a commandment. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No greater love than this, than a person laid down their life for their friends. No greater love than to have their back. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last.